Well, good evening. Good to see you back this evening. We'll be taking care of the bylaws at the end of the service. But at this time, would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5. Matthew 5 and verse number 5, which reads, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Tonight we're returning to our study entitled Channel Markers. Channel markers are signs that help sailors to navigate through shallow waters that are potentially very dangerous. God has given us channel markers to help us navigate through life without shipwreck. First, we looked at the Old Testament standards, the channel markers, which we looked at the Ten Commandments. And then we moved to a study of the New Testament standards revealed in the section of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. In verse 1 of chapter 5, Jesus begins to, to set forth what a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is to look like. The listeners to this sermon had come with expectations that Jesus is the Messiah, but they also come with their own expectations of what the Messiah will do and what his kingdom will look like. The kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming is not at all like what the people were anticipating. The Messiah's kingdom was not to be characterized as they thought it would by military strength. In fact, his kingdom uh, is not for the arrogant, the proud, the strong, and the competent. They are looking for a Messiah who is going to overthrow the Romans, and they could not identify with a Messiah who said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The idea of a meek Messiah leading a group of meek people was far from any of the concepts that the average Jew had concerning Uh, the arrival of the Messiah. In fact, the people as a whole will reject Jesus for the very reason that he failed to live up to their expectations for the Messiah. In the Beatitudes, he gives the definition of how one becomes a part of the kingdom of heaven. With eight statements, Jesus sets off the characteristics that will set apart a Christian from the rest of the world, and these were literally countercultural, and separate us from the world in which we live. These characteristics point to the fact that we are not Christians because of what we are on the outside, but what we are on the inside. We're now in the third message on the Beatitudes, and you'll recall we can see a logical sequence in the progression in the Beatitudes. The first was broken in spirit, and it is negative. It results in the second, which is mourning. And now the third is meekness, and it is positive, and it will result in the fourth, which is seeking righteousness. Being poor in spirit causes us to turn away from ourselves in mourning or repentance. And meekness causes us to turn toward God in seeking his righteousness. It seems important to note in the Beatitudes that meekness comes between those who mourn over sin and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This evening I'd like to look for and hopefully find five answers of questions about meekness. 
The first question is, what is meekness? Our uneasiness about meekness may spring from its its meaning in English. The Bible definition of meekness and the dictionary definition of meekness are two entirely different concepts. The dictionary defines meekness as deficient in courage. So we think it means to be weak. It is hard to imagine that Jesus or anyone else, for that matter, was saying, blessed are the weak. But that is not what he said, and that is not the biblical concept of meekness. Meekness is not passive submission, not cowardice, not indecisiveness, nor is it shyness. The Greek word that is translated meekness is used to describe a soothing medicine, a gentle breeze, a colt that has been broken and domesticated, and a mild and soft word. A soothing medicine, of course, brings comfort. The wrong medicine can bring death. A gentle breeze cools and soothes, but a tornado kills. An unbroken colt is destructive. A broken colt can be useful. A soft answer, according to the Bible, brings calm, and an angry answer leads to more anger. Tied up in the word meekness is the concept of power under control. The idea of being submissive to someone greater than ourselves. Perhaps the idea of power under control is best translated by the English word gentleness. So meekness, first of all, is power under control. Second, what does meekness look like? Well, as we already saw, meekness is not weakness, it's power under control. Moreover, meekness is power completely controlled and surrendered to the will of God. Now, there are a number of biblical characters who are described as being meek, but who were by no means weak. I'll only take the time this evening to mention a few. First of all, I wanted to look at Abraham. Abraham was living in the pagan city of Ur of the Chaldeans. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to get up and I want you to get out of this city. I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And in Genesis chapter 12, God gave Abraham a tremendous promise. He said, you're going to be like the seed, your seeds are going to be like the stars of heaven and the sands of the sea. Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. And Abraham, out of you uh, and out of your heritage, I'm going to bring forth a nation of my chosen people. Genesis 13, we're told that Abraham had a nephew named Lot who went with him into this new promised land. Verse 7 says, and there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So there's an argument between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen over who had the rights to certain pasture land. It would have been normal for Abraham to have said, look, nephew, uh, I'm the one that God made the promise to, and you're just here to tag along. So I'm going to make the choices about where we should be. So Abraham could have pulled rank. Abraham had the right. He was God's chosen man for this purpose. But Abraham had a choice. And Abraham chose meekness. According to Genesis 13, 8, and 9, 
It says, so Abram looked at Lot and he said, please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. We are both kinsmen, brethren, and is, is not the whole land before us. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. So Abraham says to Lot, look, we're family. You choose which portion you want and I'll take what's left. On the surface, that sounds kind of nuts. Not the way we would probably do it. Did did Abraham have the power to claim whatever land he wanted? Yes, he did. He had the power, but he never used that to his own advantage. It's a beautiful picture of submission to God. Abraham knew in his heart that God was in control. And if Lot took the left side, God would work it out. If Lot took the right side, God would work it out. His meekness is seen that he had the right and he had the power, but he never used it for his own benefit. That's meekness. Another example is then there's Joseph. He was one of seven brothers, you remember. And because he was his father's favorite, his brothers hated him. And given the opportunity, his brothers sold him into slavery. He was taken down to Egypt. They thought they got rid of him, but then a little later there was a famine in Israel. And in desperation, they had to go to Egypt in an attempt to get grain. They appear before the prime minister of Egypt, who is none other than Joseph, their long-lost brother. The very brother that they had sold into slavery. So here are the same brothers who sold him into slavery now begging him for grain. You couldn't have blamed him if Joseph said to them, let me tell you guys a little story before I say no. But that's not what he did. He had the power, but it was under control. You know what he did. He looked at them, and he loved them, and he forgave them, and he gave them everything they needed. Now, Joseph was no coward. He exercised great power in Egypt. He was second only under the Pharaoh. But meekness is not cowardice, it's power under control. Meekness makes Joseph look beyond the murderous intentions of his brothers to the sovereign control of God. You remember that Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Meekness does not show up when you are wrong. Meekness shows up when you are right and you have the power to get even with someone who has wronged you. Another example is Moses. In fact, the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. Yet Moses was certainly not a weak man. I don't know what words you might use to describe Moses, but meek is not usually among the words that you would choose. Moses always had power, but he didn't always have it under control. In fact, at one time, he was so out of control that in a fit of anger, he killed an Egyptian taskmaster and he hid his body in the sand. Forty years, God put Moses on the backside of the desert, refining his character, training him on how to get power under control. It was Moses who confronted the Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful world leader of that day and demanded in the name of God that he set the Israelites free. 
But the best demonstration of the meekness of Moses is found in the context of a passage found in Numbers chapter 12, where he is declared the meekest man on earth. The story concerns a rebellion that is led against Moses by his very own sister and his very own brother. While Moses was in Midian, he had married a woman named Zipporah. But sometime during leading the Israelites through the wilderness, she apparently dies. So Moses remarries, but this time he marries a Cushite, a name given to the inhabitants of Ethiopia. The issue seems to me to be that she is black. And those that are closest to Moses were displeased with this marriage. While it is true that later the Israelites were forbidden to marry the inhabitants of Canaan, it is not true at this point. I think the point of contention is race. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 12, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman, and so they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. The whole point seems to be how Moses reacts to this rebellion that is led by his brother and his sister. Moses does not defend himself. It is God who defends him and issues punishment on the leaders of the rebellion. As James Montgomery Boyce notes in his commentary, the punishment that is meted out to Miriam seems frighteningly appropriate. God reprimanded them for their disobedience, saying, Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And in punishment, Miriam, who must have been the real instigator, was struck down with leprosy. Dr. Boyce says, in other words, God said to Miriam, you're brown, this girl is black, and you think white is better, all right, I'll give you more of it. Leprosy made you very, very white. But the point of telling his story is to note how Moses reacted and how it demonstrated that he was the meekest man who ever lived. He did not fight back. He did not defend against himself, against his accusers. He submitted himself to God, and he was vindicated. Of course, we can't leave the issue of meekness without mentioning our Lord, Jesus. Of course, the supreme example of meekness is that seen in the life of Jesus. He was the most powerful man who has ever lived, and yet his power was always under the Father's control. He got angry when he chased the money changers out of the temple, but I submit to you that he never lost his temper. He rebuked the Pharisees, but he ate with prostitutes and tax collectors. He welcomed children. He spoke to large crowds, but he felt the touch of a woman whose fingers merely brushed the hem of his garment. And even after being spit on, reviled, slapped, nailed to a cross, how did Jesus react? In meekness, he said in Luke chapter 23, 34, Father, forgive them. Where they know not what they do. The third is how is <clears throat> meekness acquired? Because the quality of meekness is not natural, but supernatural, it is produced not by self-effort, but by submission to the control of the Holy Spirit. 
The natural response to adversity or criticism is either anger or despair. But the meek man responds differently because the Lord is in control of his life. Meekness is self-control which manifests itself in a gentle spirit based on an unshakable confidence in God. Thus it is a true supernatural virtue produced by the Holy Spirit. Meekness comes because you have so surrendered your life that he is free to demonstrate his power in you in the most difficult moments of your life. There's a wonderful story concerning Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is considered by many to be the greatest theologian that America ever produced. At one point in his career, he was dismissed from a church that he pastored by a vote of 222 to 32. He was voted out because he insisted that only saved people should take the communion. Many men would have been destroyed by such calamity, but one of his friends explained his joy in God was beyond the reach of his enemies. But what meekness does for man is gives him that confidence. Martin Lord George explains how one can know when or not they are truly meek. He wrote, and here is the test, the man who is truly meek is the man who is amazed that God and man could think of him as well as they do and not treat him as well as they could. Fourth, what is the test of meekness? The best test of meekness is found in the word attitude. I want to suggest to you there is a test in which, in three areas in which our attitude will reveal the degree of our meekness. First of all, attitude toward the circumstances of our lives. Too many face the difficulties of life by worrying and fussing. The psalmist speaks to that problem in Psalm 37. He says, do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious of the workers of iniquity. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. For those blessed by him should inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. The point the psalmist is making is that the meek person is the one who does not fret, who does not worry, who does not fuss about their circumstances in life, but by, rather by faith cast all their burden on the Lord. Peter invites believers in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 to cast all your cares upon him. For he cares for you. Another attitude that reveals our meekness is our attitude toward a brother who sins. The Apostle Paul advises believers in the church at Galatia. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. The standard is to seek to restore the individual through gentleness and concern. I think we often have a misconception about church discipline. Church, church discipline is never about punishment. It is about, always about restoration. But how one reacts to the sins of a fellow Christian re, re, 
reveals volumes about their own spiritual condition. Another attitude that reveals our condition is our attitude toward those people who disagree with us. Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells his son in the faith, Timothy, he says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, be gentle to all, able to teach and patient in humility or meekness, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they might know the truth. Meekness is that quality which is best demonstrated when you are dealing with unreasonable people. It is not hard to be gentle when you are feeling good and when people are treating you well, when you have no pressure. One writer put it this way, meekness is seen when you are under the gun, up against a deadline, surrounded by problems, hip deep in alligators, and no way to drain the swamp. And you feel yourselves getting frustrated. You don't have it then, you just don't have it at all. Kent Hughes in his book on the Sermon on the Mount notes some practical benchmarks by which you can assess whether or not you're manifesting meekness as Christ calls for. The first is harshness. If you are mean in your treatment of others, if you are If there is an absence of gentleness in your treatment of others, we need to take heed. Grasping. If you you make sure you're always first, if being number one is the subtle driving force in your life, if you care little about your action, how they affect others, beware. Another is vengeful. If you are known as someone never to cross, If you always get your pound of flesh, then you need to be on your guard, uncontrolled. If rage fills your soul so that life is a series of explosions occasioned by the fools in your life, watch out. Again, this is not to suggest that you are not a Christian if you fall into any of those sins, but rather to point out that if they are a part of your character, If you are a self-satisfied Christian who thinks that the lack of gentleness and meekness in you is just you and that people will have to get used to it, if you are not repentant, you are probably not a follower of Christ. Fifth and finally, what is promised to the meek? One final thing, this beatitude, like all the beatitude, has a promise attached to it. They shall inherit the earth. But what does that mean? Obviously, it is not a promise to the children of God, despite what the prosperity preachers tell us, that we're going to own oil wells, we're going to own blocks of downtown Manhattan, or orange rows in Florida. The Lord says, without hesitation, it is the meek who shall inherit the earth. Of course, many of us struggle to really believe that. How can that be? In our world, far too often it is the wicked that rule and the just just die young. But a better day is coming, a day when the Lord Jesus will judge the wicked and the believers will be the only ones left. This promise has both a present and a future aspect to it. First, 
it is really only the genuinely meek person who will be content because their ego is not so inflated that they always think they deserve more. They are content to rest in what the Lord has allowed to be their portion in life. They realize that through Christ they already possess all things. But there is also a future aspect to this promise as well. When Jesus says they shall inherit the earth, we, we shall inherit the earth. He means it quite literally. Here the emphatic pronoun is used so it means blessed are the meek for they and they only shall inherit the earth. And inherit here means to receive an allotted portion. Since this verb is future tense, it's talking about a millennial promise. In the day when the believer comes into the completeness of their inheritance, it is then that the promise found in this beatitude will find complete fulfillment. The godless may boast and throw their weight around, yet real possession eludes their grasp. The meek, on the other hand, although they may be deprived and denied by men, Yet because they know what it is to live and reign with Christ, can enjoy and even possess the earth which belongs to Christ. Then on the day of regeneration, on the day that Christ becomes king, there will be a new heaven and a new earth for them to inherit. The Lord invites us to join his meekness. Matthew chapter 11 Verses 28 and 29 say, Come unto me, all ye that, are, that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find your rest with me. He says, Take upon you my yoke. And a yoke is a wooden frame which was put on the neck of the back of animals and around their necks joining two animals for a common task, such as plowing or pulling a wagon. So if you are yoked with Jesus Christ, who do you think is pulling the load? You or him? Jesus can do the impossible, and he can teach us meekness. And in so doing, we'll find rest in our souls. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the reminder about our need to be meek. Father, we recognize that as not of this world. It's countercultural. It's against what we know of in this life. But we know that we can have it through you. We know that it is a supernatural thing, not something that we can achieve by self-effort but by surrendering ourselves completely to your control. And so, Lord, help us in that aspect because every day we fight this battle to take back control of our lives. And bit by bit, unless we're very careful, we do take back control of our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply these truths in our life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you stand with me?